There is freedom in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the freedom that we have. Your word's very clear that he who's a son sets free is free indeed. And we're free from our sins. And we thank you for that because we repented. We're going to see some of that here tonight as we study in your word, Lord. Drive it home to the individual. Drive it home to the, home to the backslider. Drive it home to the churchgoer. Drive it home to everyone on the face of the earth. So, Lord, today we ask your presence to be felt, to be heard, even to be seen should you grant us the grace and the mercy and the loving kindness. Lord, today we're studying of you. We want to know all about you. It's not going to happen in one church setting or thousands and thousands of years because you are way beyond our comprehension. But Lord, tonight we want to learn what your Holy Spirit has for us to learn. And then we want to apply it in our everyday life as we walk on this earth. We want to tell it to everyone that we meet. And we want Jesus to be glorified. In, in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. Before we go I'll go on, I know there's people that just tuned in, so you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. Um, we're, if you're local, uh, we're in West Palm Beach, Florida, actually Lantana area. We're on High Paluxo Road, 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana 33464. 3643 I don't know how I get that tangled up in here for 10 years, even living the same zip code. <laughs> you know what? I was listening to a major preacher today, and he was actually stumbling on the radio, and I thought, good. You know what? I do it. You know? Good. We're human. We're human. We don't edit these things. You know what? But anyway, we're at 2810 Hypoluxo Road. If you're on Hypoluxo Road, I-95, you get off, head west a quarter mile on the right-hand side. Where right-hand side is Lantana's south border, and the left-hand side is the border of North Boynton Beach. So we're right on the Boynton Beach-Lantana line. We can't miss this very local. We're glad you're here. We stream every Thursday at 715 right here, and also on Sunday at 10 a.m., you can tune in Freedom Church PB stands for Palm Beach dot org. Freedom Church PB dot org. We're glad you're uh, you're out there, and we're glad you're in the area. You can check us out. We're a full gospel Bible believing church. We preach mostly expositional, you know, through the Bible, you know, chapter and verse, and uh, and that's the way we like to study. Sometimes we do topical, so um, we'll we'll see what. God tells us to do, we do. Um, remember, Thursday night, 7.15, we stream. Sundays, 10 a.m., we stream. And for men, we have a Bible study every Saturday morning right here at Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, 9 o'clock a.m. We have several different churches represented. We have even a pastor from a local church that's a little bit um, larger than ours. So we, we thank the Lord for that. We have one common bond, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Death, resurrection, uh, death and resurrection, yeah. So praise the Lord. Um, if you go to our website, Freedom Church PB, stands for palmbeach.org, freedomchurchpb.org, you can read our beliefs, you can find our address, you can listen to our list of ministries, you can watch past services, and you can even give online. And we thank you for those that do give. And you know what? Your tithe goes to your local church, and if if we're your local church via internet, then you should your tithes should go to Freedom Church. Um, your offerings and gifts, you know, can go to Freedom Church or the church that you listen to and you love their ministry. So you got to support the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I want to remind everybody here to pray for for uh, Brett, uh, Matt. Matt is still in Brazil. He'll be down here for another f four months or so. You know, teaching English to the uh, Portuguese-speaking uh, natives of Brazil that want to go into the world and preach the gospel because the English language is a very prominent language around the world. 
So he's teaching that to several uh, upcoming missionaries, and I want you to keep him in prayer. You know, he actually went to a church in Recife, Brazil. He had to fly there. That's how far away from where he's at. You know, and he preached on Sunday morning at the church that Brett and Nona had started in Recife. So where, where we went back there in 2018, I went with them, and we, me, me and Matt took turns preaching in the churches in Brazil. Well, Matt's still doing it. So uh, I want you to keep Matt in prayer. Um, and I talk to him at least once a week, you know, with uh, insights, prayers, and, and, uh, and it's a blessing. It's a blessing that God would use this little church to send missionaries around. You know, and Brett and Nona are waiting for their new assignment from the Lord, so keep them in prayer also. So um, I want to thank everybody online. Now we're going to get into our Bible study. Um, turn to Acts chapter 17. Listen, I was thinking of staying in Philippians. We finished chapter 1, chapter 2. We're going to go back to that probably. But, you know, this week I just, I just felt that we were going to jump out for a little refresher. And we're going to jump into uh, Paul's preaching, his preaching at, at Athens. I want to show you something that I found out years ago that's very, very important to what the church needs to be preaching today. Um, and, um, and so I've named this, this message, The Missing Part of Athens Sermon. The Missing Part of Ath- Athens Sermon by the Apostle Paul. You know, Apostle Paul, was a, he was a learning too. This was a newfound uh, ministry, you know, we were just called Christians at Antioch, and Paul got uh, saved right in the midst of his chasing Christians around and even having them executed, you know, and even thrown in prison. So, but Paul was still learning Christianity, and we know that he wrote a lot of the New Testament, almost 50%, and, but he was still learning, and there's one thing he left out at Athens, and that was he did not preach the cross. You know, he might have mentioned the cross, but according to the Scriptures, he did not preach the cross. He was preaching to a bunch of philosophers and intellectuals, and he stayed on their level and didn't get down to the cross, and therefore he had a hard time, and we, doesn't, we don't even know if a church was established there. Paul established several churches. You know, and I'm going to list some of them tonight. But it just says when he left Athens, after preaching about the unknown God that he found an idol made to, you know, he didn't have many disciples, just a few disciples. But in the cities he went to before that, he made many disciples, and a church was established. And I'm going to show you some of them as we moved along. So the cross, also you're going to hear tonight some, the cross has a great deal to do with repentance. And, uh, you know, the church doesn't like to hear about repentance today. They like to bring their sin into the church. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. We are not to bring the world's sin into the church. We're to bring the message of God to them. You know, we're to, we're to uh, bring our message to them and not, not uh, be influenced by them. You know, the church is a holy place. It was established by the blood of Christ that was shed at the cross. So I'm going to turn to um, Acts chapter 17, and I'm going to read the 15th verse um, and onward. Possibly to the end of the chapter, I might stop along the way. Okay? Acts chapter 17, verse 15. And now those who conducted Paul through him brought him, let me say, now those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, and they departed. Here's what's happening. Paul's in Athens. He's preaching about the unknown God that he found an idol mentioned because they had thousands of idols, okay? And he calls for Silas and Timothy to come to him because he left them in Berea. You remember in Berean church, they checked the scriptures to see if they were, cho- they were so. 
So they were more noble than the Thessalonians because the Thessalonians gave Paul a lot of trouble. But the Bereans checked the scriptures out and they said, whoa, what he's preaching is true. And they became Christians in Berea. Many people are called Bereans today because if, you, if I tell you something, you go and check it out. Make sure what I said was true. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to do so because, you know, you want to make sure that what your pastor is teaching you is correct. And you, gotta, you find out by aligning it with this, not what you find on the Internet, what you find in the Bible. Okay? So, so Paul is calling for Silas and Timothy. Verse 16, And while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him, and he was beholding the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogues with the Jews and with the God-fearing Gentiles and in the midst, in the marketplace, every day with those who happened to be present. Look at Paul isn't stopping. He's in the marketplace. He's preaching on the streets. He's preaching in the synagogue. Okay, 18. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of a strange policy. To be proclaimer of strange policies because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Listen, Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him into the Areopagus, saying... May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. We want you to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the stragglers, strangers visiting there to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing some new thing. See, the Athenians, they were out for new insights. They wanted to know, hear everything that was new. Verse 22, And Paul took, stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in your respects. For while I was passing through examining the objects in, of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I will proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind and live on all the faces of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live, we move, and we have our existence. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like silver or gold or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of men. Verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. But he was fixed, and he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, capital M, notice, 
whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard this, heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We must hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dion, Dionysius, Dionysius and Aerogrite, and the woman named Demarius and others with them. So he has a few believers in this chapter. I'm struggling to read this because this Bible is from 1979. I got it all marked up, you know, and it's hard for me to read, but it's at least bigger letters than a lot of Bibles. So I want you to know that. Listen, here's Paul. They leave Paul and Silas and, and uh, Timothy are in Berea. They're preaching the gospel. It's very successful. Many people are repentant. As I mentioned earlier, the Bereans were checking the scriptures to find out what Paul and Timothy, you know, and, and Silas were saying was true. Paul left them there because the ministry was great. He moved on to Athens. So he goes to Athens, and he finds a bunch of Stoics and Epicurean people that are philosophers, and they want to hear everything, everything new that's out there. And Paul was bringing a new message to them. His new message was uh, this unknown God that they didn't know. They didn't hear about Jesus. They didn't know about Jesus. But they had an inscription just in case they missed a God. You know, it's kind of like the Vietnam vet. He's in the, he's in the foxhole, and he's got an Indian arrowhead, a cross, a star of David. He's got everything on. He wants to cover all his bases to make sure he's going to heaven. Well, Paul's going to teach them that these idols that you made were made with your own hands. They don't, they don't see, they don't hear, they don't move, they don't walk, they don't talk. You know, you're actually worshiping them, and you're the creator of them. Paul's trying to straighten them out, trying to tell them, listen, you don't worship what you made. You worship the one who made you. That's what Paul is telling them. But man likes to get car carried away in all of these things. Verse 15 says that, that uh, they had conducted Paul and brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment to Silas and Timothy for them to come to him with all speed. In other words, hurry up. I'm in trouble here in Athens. The, the ministry is well versed in Berea. Leave it alone. We'll come back to it later is basically what they're saying. Paul is brought to Athens. Listen, Athens is 200 miles away. The average person can walk 20, 25 miles a day. So it took him quite a while to get there. You're talking, you know, uh, let's see, you know, a week or better to get to Athens. And, of course, you know, um, it took a long time to get there. So when he sent for Timothy and, and Silas, listen, a lot of time had passed. By the time he sent somebody up to go to Berea, and then for them to come back, it's probably probably close to three weeks or a month before this happened. It's not like today we can hop in our car and drive down 200 miles and we'll be there, you know, in a couple of hours, or two and a half, three hours. This was the cradle. Athens is the birthplace of the Greek culture, as you well know, probably if you know anything about history. Paul is brought to Athens. His, you know, it's Athens is the birthplace of the Greek culture. You know, in its heyday, it was 450 B.C. You know, Socrates was in that time period, 469 to 399. Plato, Aristotle, all in the same time period. These are great philosophers that you know well. Paul is on their level. Paul knows all this stuff. Paul is not a, you know, he's not somebody that's... Uh, not well-versed. He is well-schooled, as you well know. You know, he can converse with these. Even as, he, as a passage I read, he even, he even quoted these guys in his things, in his message, so that they would know that, you know, he's pretty intelligent himself because that's what they were all about, intelligence, philosophy. Well, they, have, they have the better message than you. It was 
you know, uh, even under Rome's control, you know, it was still a powerful center for learning. But he's sending for Silas and Timothy. They wanted to know everything new that was under the sight, uh, under under the sun, you know. But Paul wanted them to know Christ. In verses seven sixteen through twenty one, now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was given over to idols. As I said, there was hundreds, if not thousands, of idols in the city of Athens. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily, those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean historic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? They figure he's just another fly-by-night preacher, got something new, probably doesn't mean anything. Others said he, he seems to be a philosopher of foreign gods because he preached to them about Jesus and the resurrection. He's preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of what you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. They never heard of a resurrection before. You and I know that very few people, nobody has ever been resurrected from the dead that lived on forever, and that's Jesus Christ. Every person on the face of the earth will die short of the rapture, which we know from Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 and other places. We know that there's going to be a time when the Lord's going to come and rescue us, and some people aren't going to be die, die. They're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. You know, so... Paul's waiting for them in Athens, and his spirit was provoked within him. In other words, he was moved. He was broken harder because of all these idols that he saw in the city. He was given over to idolatry. It was everywhere. There's more idols than citizens, says, uh, says uh, some philosophers. There was more idols in the city than there were citizens, and it was about a quarter of a million strong, they say. It was a synagogue of worshipers, which, if any Christian here knows, it takes at least 10 Jewish males to make a synagogue. It probably was a lot more than that, because this is a pretty big city, you know. The marketplace happened to be there. The synagogue was there, and Paul had opportunities to preach. There's two groups of people here. It's Epicurean, which... The chief end of man was pleasure. Sex is okay. Lust is okay. Adultery is okay. Homosexuality is okay. Anything you want to do is okay. We have people like that. America is almost like that today. You could do anything you want. Anything that pleases your flesh, do it. That's what the Epicurean mentality was. And they thought that God wasn't in involved with men. And because he wasn't, they became enslaved to their sin. Epicureans were enslaved to their sins. And if you're enslaved to some sin, you might be calling yourself an Epicurean because you become a slave to sin. Lust, sex, alcohol, drugs, homosexuality, adultery, you name it, out of the hundreds of sins that could be named that. There's a Stoic philosophy also which the chief end of man was finding a designed purpose. But they said that God was in everything. God's in that chair. God's in that tree. God's in that crystal over there. You know, that's not true, as you well know. They said wanted to live in harmony with nature. They would deny the flesh. Some of these things are good. They practice self-discipline and virtue, a good Good things. Their philosophy or their theology is that God is in all things. That's pantheism, looking for the unknown God. You know, pantheism is many gods. They desire to hear Paul's doctrine on an intellectual level. So they took him to the Areopagus. I'll get the pronunciation of that right, yes. 
That's called Mars Hill. It's the form of philosophical, philosophical uh, dissertations. It would be like Harvard today. It was like the Harvard of its day. They literally lived to talk about doctrines and ideas, always looking for something new, which is good. They're curious about what Paul has to say. They apprehend this knowledge, but they don't apply the knowledge. Every Sunday, men and women go to church, and they learn knowledge. They learn and glean from the Bible here, but they walk out the door, and they do not apply it. You remember my simple formula? Instruction minus application equals frustration. You have to apply what you hear in your church, what comes from the Word of God. You have to apply it to your life or it will do you absolutely no good. People just go to church, goes in this ear and out that ear. And that's the truth and you know it. Happens to me too. Verse 22 through 31. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I will proclaim to you. He's going to preach Jesus to him. They don't even know about him. God who made the heaven, made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in a temple made with hands. You hear that, church? This is a building. This is a temple. This is a church. But he doesn't dwell in this building. You know that since you're a Christian, that, that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And Paul's got Paul's to bring this over to them. God doesn't dwell in the physical temple. He dwells in a temple made without hands. That's this temple. You are, don't you know, you are a temple of, the Holy, of God and the Holy Spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's going to tell them these things. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. You know what? Consider that verse here. God gives you life. He gives you breath. He gives you all things. That means breakfast, lunch, dinner, your house, your automobile, you name it. He, he does all this for you. But listen, your next breath comes from God. Your life comes from God. All things come from God. Verse 26, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. From one blood, Adam and Eve. Adam, he created blood. We're all that. Every one of us, our family line, will filter down through Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and we are all of the line of Noah, all the way back to Adam. All the way back to Adam. So when Adam and Eve fell, their sin passed to all men. And has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling, so that they should seek the Lord. You hear that, church? He wants you to seek the Lord and all these things. And Paul's telling Athens to seek the true God, the one that you have an idol made out to an unknown God. Can you imagine if that were made out of stone? After Paul left Athens, you see the sculptor out there chiseling it out. Jesus is Lord. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be cool? In the hope that they might grope for him and find him. And grope for him means to seek after, to search for him, and to find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And he isn't. There's just a veil between us and him right now until where these these this mortal puts on immortality. For him to live, for in him we live, we move, and we have our being. That should be the motto of every Christian today. In him I live, I move, and I have my being. It's all about him. 
It's not about you or me. It's about Jesus. As also some of us of your own poets have said. See, Paul's going to quote their poets now. See, Paul knows Greek philosophy, that tells you. So now he's going to quote from them so that these, these philosophers know that he's no pushover. He's very intelligent man. He's also, you know that he's, he's also bi- bilingual for sure. He knows Greek. He knows uh, Aramaic. He probably knows Hebrew and maybe even Latin. So Paul's a very intelligent man. He's going to quote their own poets according to verse 28. For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold and silver and stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Verse 30, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to what? Repent. Something that you don't find much of in a lot of churches today. It's very true. It's, it's told that we are to, all men are to repent. That means turn around and go the other way. We're sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. And Paul told the Romans, all have sinned and fall short of, of the, the, the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The wages of uh, our sin or unrighteousness is death. But God brings us life through Jesus Christ. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Paul's going to preach to them. It's time for the church to repent. It's time for me to repent. Listen, I'm going to read you the notes of this here. This is a, uh, you know, a New American Standard uh, Bible. But I want to say, here's what it says on this verse in my notes. Repentance is is so important that God commands that all men everywhere should repent. That's how important repentance is. All men everywhere should repent. Then he starts listening, listing them, listen. The lost are to repent. And Jesus quoted it. You know, Jesus quoted, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Okay, so the lost are to repent. Here, guess what? Next line is backsliders are to repent. So if you're a backslidden Christian right now, it's time to repent. Here's what I was going to go pull this verse out, which is 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and he's quoting it right here. I didn't even see the reference, but I was ready to grab that verse. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, here's what it says. Paul said, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the, re- to the point of repentance. You should be made sorrowful to the point of repentance. I'm sorry I'm an alcoholic, a drug addict. I'm sorry I'm a drunk. I'm sorry I'm a do- adulterer, uh, an adulterator. You know, I'm sorry. And it makes you, when you, when you think of those things you do, it makes you want to repent and say, I was wrong, I want to go in the other direction. Repent, about face, turn around, go in the other direction. And it goes on. Okay, the lost are to repent, the backsliders are to repent. Look at number three, local churches are to repent. You know that out of the seven churches that, that are listed in the book of Revelation, five of those churches were told by the Lord to repent or he'll remove their lampstand. The lampstand is the light of Christ. Okay? He's going to remove your light. So it's important that the lost repent, the backsliders repent, the local churches repent. And we'll flip over (coughs) to to another page where it says here, okay, when, here's some evidence of their repentance. The repentance of an unbelieving Thomas. He repented when Jesus appeared to him eight days later after appearing on Resurrection Sunday evening in in the upper, in probably the upper room. He wasn't there. But when Jesus showed up the next week, the eighth day, which would have been Sunday again, okay, he repented. 
He fell, fell, I believe he fell on his knees when Jesus said, stick your, Thomas, stick your hand in my, your finger in my hands and shove your hand into my side and see if I am not flesh and bone. And Thomas fell and said, my Lord and my God. So that led him to repentance. His lack of faith led him to repentance. Then when Paul Peter preached, 3,000 men were changed at Pentecost. Their hearts, their minds, their wills were changed. Paul himself repented when he experienced Jesus on the road to, a road to Damascus. Cornelius, the, the uh, Gentile centurion, repented along with his entire family when he sent for Peter and Peter preached about Jesus. The Philippian jailer repented. He had a change of mind and a change of heart. Repentance is so important to the local church, but we don't even hear it today. And everybody don't want to hear the fire and brimstone preachers anymore. That's why we're a small church, because I'm not going to shut up about this. It's important, because we have, in America, have drifted off of the cross. We think it's shellac smooth, and we can do anything we want to do. It's an old rugged cross. And a cross is a symbol of death, not something you can slide and use as a surfboard on the Atlantic Ocean surfing. The cross is the old rugged cross. I think I even have some lyrics here for you. Let me read it if I can find it. Yeah. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Oh, I thought it was about, I thought it was about me and self-helps. I can help myself. You know what? You need God's help. Get back to the Bible. I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish that old rugged cross. Not the nice smooth one that will make you a millionaire just because you speak it out of your mouth. Yeah, the Bible does say, you know, what, you know, uh, you know that your words are important. You know what this is this is talking about? You'll cherish the old rugged cross, the one where Jesus died, where every time he pushed himself up to get a breath of air, that the splinters were were sinking into his back and was all ripped apart from the cat of nine tails. We forget that anymore in the in the world. Till my trophies at last I lay down. In other words, talking about you getting trophies for obeying the Lord God Almighty. I'm sure Paul has every crown there is and probably almost every gem that could be put in that crown because he loved Jesus so much. By the time he got saved on the road to Damascus, you couldn't shut him up. And that's why a lot of the New Testament was written by him. I cling to that old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction to me. How come the church today don't want to hear about the wondrous attraction of the cross? They want to hear the smooth message, a tickled ear message, and not the cross. Paul, I mean, according to what I read here, and even reading other, other um, Bible preachers and teachers, Paul did not preach the cross. He preached, as so we read it earlier, he reached, preached Jesus and the resurrection. He didn't preach the cross. And because of that, his ministry in Athens was not as effective as it could have been. It says, that, like I said, there's a few disciples made in Athens, and Paul spent a lot, a lot of time there. And he had his two, his two right-hand men were on the scene with him, Silas and Timothy. <coughs> For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. In that old rugged cross stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. To that old rugged cross I will ever be true its shame and reproach gladly, gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday 
to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. For the most part, this isn't the message that's preached in the church today. Repentance and the cross. I got some flyers here. We just did this message not too long ago, no more than three months ago. I got some flyers here, and I showed you, and I only have enough here today for all of you. I don't know why. I thought it was double. I split it in half. I forgot this took the whole sheet. But here's some things. Dan, take these, and anybody that wants one, give it to them. I'll run some more off for Sunday. Sixteen things Jesus finished at the cross. I just taught this not too long ago, and I'll bet you a lot of you don't even remember it, and even those online. John, sixteen things Jesus finished at the cross. When he cried out in John 19.30, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up a ghost. Here's what was fulfilled. Sixteen things. The Scriptures of his sufferings were fulfilled. The six scriptures were fulfilled of all his sufferings, 365 of them. And there's some references there. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Luke 24, Deuteronomy 18, and Acts 3. The, what else happened at the finished at the cross? The defeating of Satan was done at the cross, Colossians 2, 14 through 17. Breaking down the middle wall of separation. He broke down the middle wall of separation. That's number three. In other words, there is no separation now between Jew and Gentile. He broke down that wall. The Jews are now Christians that believe, and the believers are the Gentiles that were heathens are now believers that believe. Number four, a way a, a way of personal access to God. What was fit you because of the cross, you can go to right before the throne of God. You can bow down at his throne. The cancellation of the reign of death. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, Romans 6, 9, no more death has no more dominion over him. Death has no dominion over us. This body's going to die, but our spirit's going to live on. Because this body cannot stand in the presence of God. will self-destruct. The cancellation of sin's power was finished at the cross. Sin no longer has power over me. Hey, I've gotten victory over many of my sins. I still got a ways to go. But I got victory over the, the, the uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. I got delivered from drugs and alcohol. You know what? I, I got a ways to go. I, and God, the Holy Spirit will be working on me and you all the days of our life. You know what else was finished at the cross? Uh, you know, uh, there's a demonstration of, oh, oh, wait a minute, cancellation of sin's power. I went through that. Demonstration of obedience and, the lo and love to death. He, you know, God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, he died for us. That was all demonstrated at the cross. You know what else was finished at the cross? The perfection of Christ, by whom are all things, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. You know what? Number eight, salvation from our sins. From all sins, not just some sins, all sin was accomplished at the cross. Number 10, the making of peace between God and man. At the cross, God, the Lord Jesus established that. Now there is peace between God and man. God does no longer looks at you as a sinner. He looks at you seeing that you've received his son Jesus as your Savior. And he sees the blood of Christ which watches your sins away. So you're... you're uh, he brought peace to man. That's why I rode into Jerusalem on the donkey to proclaim that God is bringing peace to all men on earth who put their faith in him. Number 11, death's penalty was paid for at the cross. You know what? We even sing it on Sunday. You know, he, he, uh, he, he destroyed the, the enemy by death. 
he destroyed death. By death, Jesus destroyed death. By his death, he destroyed death. Death no longer has dominion over you. Death's penalty was paid for all who put their faith in him. The cancellation of the, the mortgage claim of Satan against you. See, he said, you're mine. That canceled it out. The cross canceled it out for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. You weren't redeemed with silver and gold, but with precious blood as a man, uh, as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Number 13, satisfaction of the whole justice of God was, was accomplished at the cross. Number 14, bodily healing was accomplished at the cross. I know people don't want to believe that. You can believe that you're saved, you know, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sin, who heals all your diseases, and who delivers your life from the pit. Who forgives all our sin, we believe. He delivers our life from the pit, we believe. But we don't believe he healed our physical body. Come on, wake up. God would have, wouldn't even have put that line. He would have just canceled number two out. Jesus' stripes on his back was for the healing of your body. If you claim it and believe it, all things are possible to those who believe. Have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you prayed will happen, God will grant it to you, because nothing's impossible for God. So let's think about that. Yes, we're going to die. It's appointed once for man to die. That date is set. Our, our days are numbered. It's written in the Bible. He knows our, day, our numbered day. We're going to die. You can pray to your blue in the face. If that's the day, it's not going to change. You can fast. You can pray, but if it's that day, then you're going to go. We're gonna, you're going to go. But if it's not your day, you can be healed. Pray and believe. Number 15, a way for the full enhancement of power and full anointing of the Holy Spirit. See, no longer do you have to say, God, give me a double portion of uh, Elijah's spirit. You have more than a double portion. Elijah and Elisha would have loved to have the Holy Spirit live in them. But he didn't. He came upon them, and then he left. That's why David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, you have more than a double portion of God's Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ that lives in you, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You have full power. But you know what? You've got to believe it. Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 2 says this, The same gospel preached to them did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. The gospel is going to profit you if you mix it with faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished at the cross. And there are 16 things I pulled out of the scriptures here. And here's the 16th. The blotting out of the old covenant and the sealing of the new covenant. He, he took the, you know, he fulfilled the old and gave us the new. Paul introduces to them this unknown God. They thought they knew everything, but they didn't know Christ. Here's three parts of Paul's sermon. Number one is the introduction in verse 22 and 23. It says, God is the creator of all things. He's introducing them. It will catch their attention. Number two of those three parts, the unknown God. He's using what they have to come against them and say, I'm going to teach you about this unknown God. Him I will proclaim to you, this unknown God that you made a, an idol to. And number three, the message from the unknown God. The message, of course, is to repent. He's changing his normal approach 
of the Old Testament scriptures for these people in Athens for some reason. Here's what he did. Here's Paul's sermon at, at Athens. Okay, verse 23, he proclaims the true God. Verse 30, he commands repentance. Verse 31, judgment is coming. Number, th- number 4, verse 31, righteousness comes through a man, namely the Messiah, who he ordained. And number 5, verse 31, assurance to this is given because God raised him from the dead. He's preaching the resurrection. Do you hear anything about the cross yet? I think that's where the power, the power lies in the cross. The cross has got to be preached in every church. Paul left it out at the Athens. At least it's not recorded. He left it out in Athens, and his Athens ministry was very, not really very successful. And number six, verse 27, the dead, oh, that they seek the Lord. He wants them to seek the Lord, okay? Paul's listing five attributes of Jehovah God right here in this passage. In verse 24, he's omnipotent. He created the world and everything in it, so that's omnipotence. Number two, he's telling them he's the Lord of the heaven and earth, and he does not dwell in a temple made by hands. He's omnipresent. That's what he's saying. He is everywhere. And number three, he's self-sufficient. <laughs> what can you do for God? He has everything as though he needed anything from you. But God does want something from you so that he can spend eternity with you and you with him. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Number number four, verse 25, he's life-giving. He gives life to all. He said, in him we live, we move, we have, have our being. But before that, you know, he said that he gives life He's sovereign, verse 26. He pre-deter- pre-appointed times and boundaries. And number seven, or six, he can be personal, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. We have to seek the Lord. You aren't going to find the Lord if you aren't seeking him. But if you seek him, God promises that you will find him. If you seek him with a whole heart. Don't seek him because you want to win the lottery. Seek him because you want him. Don't seek him so that you can you can get your yacht or your French Riviera condo. No. Here's two quotes that he gives from their philosophers. It's Clentius. Paul says, In him we live, we have, we move, and we have our being. It was Clentius that said that, but it's recorded in the scriptures. We use it all the time. I've used it probably a hundred times in the last year. In him we live, we move, we have our being. You know, he's quoted, quoting the philosopher Clentius, 300 B.C. He was a Cretan poet and a Stoic philosopher. We are also his offspring. Erastus said that in 270 B.C. He said it's 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 plain omenia, which means it's written in the stars. So look at this tells you right here that Paul knows what he's talking about. He's well read, he's well educated. And if anybody could preach at Athens, it would have been Paul. And he did. Verse twenty nine. read verse 29. Being then the offsprings of God, we ought to not think that the divine nature is like silver and gold or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of men. I 
I put together this one thing. Paul's sermon also included four R's. Number one is to recognize. Man is accountable to recognize truth. This is the truth, people. This is the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. He is the truth. Every, God, every word of God is tested, and he is a shield to those who put refuge in him. You need to recognize the truth. The truth is there's one God. Number two, repent. Man is accountable to repent. Remember I read it. The lost are to repent. Backsliders are to repent. The local churches are to repent. And repentance is important. You should be sorrowful for your sins to the point of repentance that you turn around and go back in the other direction. Number three of the four R's is receive. Man must receive the righteousness of Christ. And number four, he needs to rely on the resurrection of Jesus that died. Don't look like Jesus or Paul spent a lot of time on the cross other than Jesus died and he focuses on the resurrection. So what basically he's really saying, I think I'm going to end it right here. Well, maybe not. It's real quick. The bottom line is the, rec re rec the resurrection requires a response from every individual on the face of the earth. Listen, when Paul was on his first missionary journey, he started four churches. They were, so they were in the Galatian area, Galatia area, so we have a book to the Galatians. These letters passed around from every church. Here's the Galatian churches that Paul started, four of them, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. There's also a city called that island of Cyprus. It said we know that he had some disciples there, but we don't know he started a church. The second missionary journey was Macedonia, the, this Europe now. He went to Philippi, where Lydia and the Philippian jailer were saved, you know, Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth. Now, Athens and Traos were in there, but very few disciples were one. Whether there was a church established, we do not know. And then the third missionary journey, he spent most of the time in Ephesus. So we know for a fact that Paul started at least seven, uh, nine churches and possibly as many as, as um, four more, possibly as high as 13 churches on Paul's missionary journey. That's a pretty good successful uh, ministry, you know, don't you think? Because of the resurrection, we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Not believe so to the point where you can go to church every Sunday and think you're saved. You believe with your heart. You can relate. Every time Jesus was whipped on your, his back, you could feel it yourself. That's the reality of it. Should have been you on that stump. It wasn't. It was him. <coughs> and you don't want to... Um, tread underfoot the blood of Christ, which was shed on the cross. And from my knowledge here, studying the scriptures, Paul didn't spend a lot of time on that, upon the cross at all. And I think that's what limited the ministry in his life uh, in Athens. So, preach the old rugged cross, not the smooth one. You can slide your hand up and down on a real slick, it's the old rugged cross Jesus came and died on. Let's open, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you, Lord. Father, if I could, I would repent for every church on the face of the earth. I have enough problems repenting for my sins and trying to establish myself and follow after you. But Lord, today we come to you, Father, and thank you for what you've done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. 
we thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my cross. It should have been me that was crucified, but it was you. So thank you for taking my place. Help us to follow after you all the days of our life, and to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you, church. I'll see you Saturday, Sunday. I love you all.